This, 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 this is you. K U T. K U T. Austin. Stop. I used to get mad at my Hello, and welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer, and welcome back to campus. Well, thank you. It's always fun. You're wearing your black and gold, which I I appreciate. I am wearing black and gold. I usually remember wearing school colors is, I guess, a a sort of mild form of competition if you're sort of showing school spirit or showing that you're rooting for your school's team. But I wanted to talk today about deeper competition Hmm. because something that I've noticed, and I'm curious, actually, if you've noticed this among your students, uh, the various institutions where you have been, did they talk to each other a lot about grades and sort of do that, what'd you get? What'd you get on that test? What'd you get on that paper? Is is there competition still among students about grades? That seemed to be true of my school experiences all the way through elementary school, high school, college, and grad school. Is that still true? Uh, Absolutely. And it's interesting how it uh, manifests itself. How does it? Well, in a variety of ways. I mean, there are some students whose personalities are such that, you know, hey, we get back the paper. What'd you get? And so we can compare. There are other students that do not like sharing their grades. I was one of those guys. I did not like letting people know how I did, how well or how poorly I did. Uh, But then no matter what, you you look at that curve. I mean, you know, not not the curve that the the professor's curving it, but like, you know, the the grade distribution, I should Mm -hmm. say. And what does that look like? And boy, I mean, when I pass back work, especially math exams, I will put up the grade distribution. How many people got 100? That's like one category. And then 99 to 95, 94 to 90, and then 89 and so forth, all the way down to like, you know, zero. And I put I put in the populations of how many students got in there so they can see where they are generically and relative to the class. And I think it really is a barometer of how I'm doing. You think it's a barometer of how you're doing how the students perform on the test? How they perceive they're doing. Because, well, I'm doing better. Look, the uh, I got a... Uh, a 68 on this exam, but the average was a 40. I'm doing great. Well, okay, but that means that 32% of the material you haven't mastered yet. So is that really something to be proud of? But but that's how I think we as students perceive it, right? Oh, I'm, ab- I'm above the average, so that's great. But you're saying in the grand scheme of things, it may not necessarily be great. Well, I mean, I mean, and I don't know if this is where you're going with this or not, but but I'll take it into a place, which is if you think about grades, a question is what are they what are they there for? What are they used for? Now obviously the the practical answer is it allows us to measure students in some way. I, I don't think it's particularly an effective way, but if you're thinking about graduate school or law school or just getting a job, medical school, you know, okay, well, this student is a 3.9 average and this student is a 2.8. Well, first of all, the schools might be different. So you're comparing apples and oranges and so forth. But letting all that go, what is the point of grades from an intellectual point of view? And, and why would we as educators, Jennifer, tolerate anything except a perfect score? So imagine here's an alternate universe. So you're taking calculus with me. Well, not you, because you'd be great. So let's say that, you know, that Tom is taking calculus with me. And he takes the first exam, 
and he gets, let's say, uh, a 75, which maybe people would be very happy with a 75. Well, why would we just say, okay, now let it go and move on? Why wouldn't we just say, okay, 75, 25% more to go, keep studying, keep working, and then you'll take another uh, exam of, on the same material, and you'll keep doing that until you get 100. I mean, why should students ever fail a course? Well, why should we be satisfied with any student getting anything less than an A? Maybe the philosophy with higher formal education should be you just keep doing it then. So, so poor Tom is going to relive calculus maybe for two years, but when he finishes, he will have mastered the discipline. Well, and that's interesting because what you're really illustrating in the alternative universe is a kind of competition, but it's with oneself to improve and keep learning as opposed to external competition of the what you get, what you get, asking your neighbors and seeing where you fall. It's really more comparing your own progress and knowledge rather than to other people's progress. Exactly right. And and, and if you think about it and you think about one of the, the five elements of effective thinking that we've talked about, which is deep understanding, how could a student say, oh, you know what, I'm getting a, a, a B minus in this class, but boy, it's such a difficult subject for me that I'm thrilled to get a B minus. Well, wouldn't it be great if if people from kindergarten on up were raised to the spirit where, no, you're not going to be thrilled to get a B minus. You you want to understand more deeply still and and persevere until until you see something that that shows that you've really mastered it. Ed, is there any scenario where that kind of of competition that we see among students where they're worried about how they did relative to a classmate. Is there any scenario where that is healthy or where that can serve as motivation to, to strive to sort of close the gap of what they haven't learned? Well, again, I think it's a, it's a function of individual's personality. Some people will like to rise up and say, well, you know, Jennifer is not going to do better than I. I'm going to do even better next time. And that, that spurs that. Even better, of course, a better mindset would be, wow, Jennifer appears to have mastered this, at least on this assessment. Let me hang out with Jennifer. Let me hear, let me get into Jennifer's head. Let me hear how she thinks about these things, and maybe that can help me. And so that's a much healthier attitude, but I don't really honestly see that. And, and by the way, in talking about, you know, whether these things are healthy or not, I mean, there's a question of how helpful are grades. Because what if, suppose that you love art, okay, and you love the idea of drawing, but you believe that you're not strong as an artist and you want to go to medical school and you can't have a low GPA. So now you're going to avoid taking a course that really is meaningful to you or you're passionate about and you're going to avoid it because you're afraid that you're not going to get an A. To me, that, that impediment is actually a disaster if you're trying to offer a meaningful educational experience to allow Jennifer to flourish. And that's a problem with grades. So, Ed, I want to turn to our puzzler. I kind of wonder if that engenders some competition among people trying to get the solution. Or... Absolutely. <laughs> Families are fighting as we speak. Hopefully the holidays are not too they're, stressful for they're people. They're all running discussing. for the off button on their, on their device so they don't have to listen to the puzzler. I think that's the competition. Who could turn us off faster? That's the competition, which is sad, but it's just the reality we have to accept. Well, then go ahead and lay another puzzler on us. All right. So please put us on mute for those of you who are not here. <laughs> This is a classic puzzle. Let me tell you that uh, I was teaching my class last night, Effective Thinking Through Creative Puzzle Solving, and one of my students, Kyle, uh, asked me about this question, and it reminded me of it. It's a, it's a famous question. Okay. Uh, so it's called the Monty Hall Puzzle, and if you uh, – listeners who are certain age – You remind people who Monty Hall is. So, it's, so let me just give you the puzzler. You have a game show, 
and you have three doors and you're told the doors are closed and you're told that behind each door is either a goat or a brand new car. And you're told that behind two of the doors are goats and behind one of the door, the remaining door, is the car. The host, whose name is Monty Hall, knows where the goats are, knows where the car is. You, as the contestant, do not. And so now here's how the scenario plays out. Okay. Monty Hall asks you and says, you know, pick a door. And this is where on the TV show, Let's Make a Deal, people would be yelling, pick door number two, pick door uh-huh. number one, number three. And they're all yeah, shouting <laughs> all this chaos. And that's part of the drama. And suppose you pick a door and let's say, what do you want to pick? Doesn't matter. Okay, I'll pick door number three. Okay, now door number three. Now let's just think through this now, okay? So now door number three is your door. Now that either contains a car or a goat and Monty Hall knows what, right. what's there. So even if it's a goat, there is a remaining door that contains another goat. Yes. It might, in fact, be two remaining doors if you happen to on the car. Right. But there is definitely a door that contains a goat that was not the one you picked. You follow me? Yes. Okay, now Monty is thinking this right. now. Right, he knows all of this. And so you picked door number three, you said. Yes. Okay, so now I happen to know that door number one, I'm not telling you whether you have a goat or not, but I know that door number one has a goat. So now I open up door number one to reveal the goat, and the crowd goes wild. Woo! So now you've dodged that, and then Monty comes to you and says, now, Jennifer, would you like to stick with your original answer? Uh-oh. Or would you like to switch and see what's behind door number two? And this is the question of do you stick or do you switch? Now, that's the puzzler for, that's the Monty Hall puzzle, and that's what's for our audience and for you. I will say that on the actual Monty Hall, the, the program, Let's Make a Deal, usually there's also incentive. I'll give you another $100 if you do one or the other. And okay. So it's a little bit more complicated. But this program, the question is, do you stay with your first guess? You already saw one goat, and so you know one of these has a goat and one of one them has, has a, a car. car. So do you stick or switch, or does it not make a difference? That's the puzzler. Okay. Goats and cars. All right. Got it. Okay. Puzzle through that one. Thank you very much. I like classic ones like that because they're still challenging. Marilyn Vos Savant, who was the person who once was believed to have the highest IQ on the universe, uh, wrote a piece. I think she wrote for Parade Magazine. This was back in the 1990s. And she asserted an answer. And a lot of mathematicians wrote in and said that she was wrong. And this became a very controversial thing. If you you, Don't Google it because then you can see the answer. But if you Google it, you can read about the story. I think it was around 90... 97 or something, 1997, and it became a big, big uh, controversial thing. And it turns out a lot of the mathematicians were wrong. And she was absolutely right. She is a genius. Wow. Well, I'm even more intrigued now, so I can't wait for the next episode to hear the solution. Ask Marilyn. Ask Marilyn. Well, I'm going to ask Ed now as we (laughs) wrap up our episode talking about competition. I'm wondering, when I was thinking about the concept of competition, there's there's competition in the classroom where students are concerned about grades or their class rank or whatever the case may be. There's also competition, I'm going to say, out in the real world. When students are finished with their formal education, they're competing for jobs. They may be competing for spaces in graduate school. Is competition something that should be discussed and taught in school so that students could develop a healthy attitude towards it so that when they are out of school or they're done with formal education, at least they they have a sense of how to approach it and how to keep it in proper perspective. I completely agree. I think it is important to teach. I don't think that 
It's effective to do that through one's grades. But to think about other activities, I don't even know if it's appropriate to call it assessment, but other activities that fosters that, fosters positive competition, I think is something that's very, very important, especially at a young age where you can you know, cheer on and, and, and be happy when someone does something great. And that could be an aspirational moment for you. But also realize that, in fact, uh, there are competing forces, there are limited resources in the world, and, and so we're competing for them, and that is reality. And so it's not a matter of saying everyone gets a trophy, but in fact, there's got to be a winner, and, and to appreciate that, and as you put it, I like how you said it, and to, to put it in proper context, to realize that you have to balance that with also being part of a community. So whether it's teamwork or group projects where you appreciate the fact that everyone can add their voice and contribute and there you don't have to compete and yet there's this other opportunity where in fact healthy competition uh, is encouraged. Absolutely. Yes, I realized as you were answering that we were could be veering into the everybody gets a trophy territory, which is a big discussion about how you sort of reinforce and reward, especially young people. And I, I'm sure people are not going to like this, but I am not of that camp. I do believe that we need to have people who we can look up to and say, these are aspirational figures. I'm not going to say winners and losers, but this is a person that that has performed uh, better than I did. And so what can I learn? How, what can I learn from Jennifer because she did so well and whatever that is, rather than saying, okay, I, I, you know, I hate her now. And so again, how we perceive competition and use it as a way for personal growth I think is important. If everyone is equally wonderful, then we've got a problem. Well, Dr. Ed Berger, thank you for helping us with our personal growth. Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can find out more at southwestern.edu. And you can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at KUT.org and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News. 